and you're listening to A Little Too Quiet, the Ferndale Library Podcast, brought to you by the Friends of the Ferndale Library. I'm Jeff Milo, and joining me on the podcast today is none other than mystery and crime writer Jeffrey Deaver, master of suspense, international number one best-selling author, and brand new book is out right now, The Final Twist. This is the third book in the Coulter Shaw series. Coulter Shaw was introduced about two years ago in the first book of this series, which was called The Never Game. Shaw is the son of a survivalist father, grew up with a survivalist family, and is now an expert tracker, making his living as a reward seeker. And in that first book, his investigation took him deep into Silicon Valley, where he got mixed up with the video game industry. And then in the second book, The Goodbye Man, it was getting mixed up with a cult, and it was very exciting. But now, the final twist is picking up right where those two books left off and Coulter Shaw finds himself in San Francisco where he has taken on the mission his father began years ago, finding a missing courier bag containing evidence that could bring down a corporate espionage firm responsible for hundreds, perhaps thousands of deaths. He's following the enigmatic clues his father left behind and Shaw is playing cat and mouse with the company's sadistic enforcers as he speeds from one gritty neighborhood in the city by the bay to another. Suddenly, the job takes on a frightening urgency. We are here to talk about that book, creating Coulter Shaw, and just the overall creative process of this iconic suspense writer, Jeffrey Deaver, how he creates characters, how he arranges his symphony of suspense. And we'll also be talking about, there's going to be a television adaptation of Coulter Shaw inspired by that first book, The Never Game. We'll be talking about that with Jeffrey Deaver, but mainly, We'll be talking about his latest, The Final Twist. I wanted to start with Coulter Shaw. Now, it's only been two, maybe a little more than two years ago that you first introduced Coulter Shaw to readers. Your readers can start to slowly acquaint themselves with this character page by page, whether it's Lincoln Rhyme or Catherine Dance. Over the course of several books, I think their experience of familiarizing themselves with a new protagonist of yours is designedly at their own pace. What's it like for you, the writer, to bring up a new character? Or would you scrupulously map out and decide upon all of Coulter Shaw's idiosyncrasies and, and backstory before you even start? Or does Coulter surprise you as you go along? Good question. And uh, some authors would say the um, uh, character develops him or herself as they move along. But that's not uh, in my case. I am a, um, you know, the difference between the pantser and the plotter. Pants, for your listeners who don't know, seat of the pants. They sit down with a blank computer and write the story. And then the plotters, like myself, I'm an outliner. I'm an obsessive outliner. Uh, I adhere to what Joyce Carol Oates said that you can't write your first sentence until you know what your last sentence is. And I think uh, that is so true. I spent eight months doing an outline. The outline ends up being about 130, 140, 150 pages. And within that is the bio of each character. Um, and so I knew right up front who Coulter Shaw was. Well, not right up front, but during that eight-month process. And that was a journey, that eight-month process. That was a journey, but that was not in the actual creation of the prose itself. It was, uh, I think, okay, I'll put him on a motorcycle. Now, I used to ride a dirt bike a long time ago. That's a fun thing to do. I'm going to make, he's very physical. I'm going to make him a rock climber. And then um, I'm going to give him this odd profession of being a reward seeker. And that's 
that is not a profession that actually exists, but I thought it made sense uh, because, you know, most of the PIs are not like Sam Spade. They, they, they just dig out public information on people. That's not what this, what uh, the, the dramatic private eyes do. Well, Colter Shaw is, has kind of a made up career, but he travels around the country looking for rewards mm-hmm. that have been offered for missing children or by police for a suspect they can't find. And uh, that to me seemed like the idea of an itinerant hero was very powerful to me. And I thought it would appeal to uh, readers as well. We think of Coltishaw as this survivalist uh, that sort of paints this picture of maybe being a lone wolf out there. But this book, especially in the final twist, we start learning much, much more about his family and uh, the, the people that he cares about, uh, even though he has complicated relationships with his family. Can you talk about bringing that element into this story? I think that the pages really crackle when we learn more about his family, not beyond just his father, of course. Well, I appreciate that uh, because that was very intended on my part. Mm -hmm. I heard a radio show um, a few years ago in which uh, the interviewee, and I missed who it was, oddly I missed the introduction, uh, uh, probably a neurolinguist or someone like that, a scientist, had said that the part of our brain that creates emotional feelings with respect to the actual living, breathing people we know, our romantic partners, our children, our parents, and the, the bad people in our life, our exes, our, um, uh, our, our bad bosses, uh, the guy who cuts you off on the freeway. Well, that's um, the same part of the brain that creates an emotional connection with fictional characters. And to the extent that you create real living and breathing characters in your books, in other words, flesh them out, give them depth, make them rich, the experience of the book is going to be that much greater. So with Coulter, I actually had heard that interview when I was working on the Never Game, the first in the series, and I decided with Coulter Shaw, I would uh, give him this very rich backstory, including his brother, his sister, his mother, um, and his father no longer with us, although we see his father in in flashbacks. Um, And because I wanted not only to tell a fast-moving plot, which I do in all my books, they're very plot-driven, but so that's a hook that grabs the reader right away. But there's also this connection the readers have to Coulter as a character and ideally his other, uh, uh, his other family members and the people he meets and interacts with. Uh, so, uh, you know, I, I was on an interview once in, in uh, it was in England and the uh, presenter said, uh, Mr. Deaver, uh, <clears throat> Um, you know, I should back up. Usually interviews are, are kind of, we're talking to nice people like you, you know, the interviews are, are, are nice. And it's, it's there to, you know, I'm there to sell the book. They're there to help the, the listeners learn a little bit about me, but he pointed his finger at me. It was live in the studio. And he said, what do you say? What do you say to the charge that you're manipulative? Uh, and I said, thank you. I, I don't usually think quickly, but I said, thank you, because that's exactly what I am. And I want to manipulate readers the way uh, people get on a roller coaster and are manipulated. Uh, and so I manipulate them with the plot. They want to know what's going to happen next. I end the chapters on a high note, big question mark. And then at the same time, I create characters that are rich and that uh, people want to get to know. Actually, people have said, is Culture Shaw based on a real person? And if so, is he single? <laughs> <laughs> that something that has been bubbling over the three three books here and especially comes to a head here is his connection his relationship his loyalty to his his father his father's teachings are always in his head he's uh the the 
uh, that uh, his father's almost a tertiary character, even though he's not physically present. Uh, and I hope I'm not asking the magician to reveal the trick here, but when you think of Coulter, how he regards his father, what is that relationship? Because Coulter's not exactly the, the touchy-feely emotional guy, but there is, there's, there's loyalty there, especially in this one when he's trying to solve this, this case almost for his father. Um, sure. And I, what I try to do in creating, when I say rich characters, yeah. uh, that means avoiding the cliches mm-hmm. of the, um, uh, you know, I think of the Princess Bride. My name, I can't get his name, I can't remember his name, but my name is uh, whatever it might be. You killed my father, prepare to die. Uh, that's a trope, of course, for, uh, you know, the family issues. Well, families have issues. Coulter had issues with his father. There was almost physical violence when his father, some of his father's mental health conditions uh, intruded on this wonderful complex man's life. And uh, so to make uh, Coulter come alive, I felt I needed to make his father come alive. So we see them uh, together in in some flashbacks. Mm -hmm. And I think um, the the conflict that Coulter has felt um, is revealed in his desire to pursue this mysterious courier bag that's the MacGuffin in the mm-hmm. the plot that has a, a very nefarious document inside i can't say too much about but it's it's kind of like it's it's kind of like the da vinci code in a way imagine da vinci code with sam spade the detective in san francisco but Coulter is driven to solve that that mystery even though is he going to is he going to, you know, have his father's murderer arrested? Is his father was his father even murdered? He doesn't know, but he cannot rest until he answers the question. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I also want to say, having read the first two books and then going into this one, I really feel like you up the ante in terms of how much Coulter has to deal with. Uh, in the first book, he is immersing himself in a Sil- Silicon Valley in the video game industry. In the second book, there is a cult. In this third book, I could say that there's a nefar- nefarious corporation. But there is a lot more going on, more clients to take on. What was that like for you, the writer here? Because I, I almost saw you as uh, when you're arranging all this subterfuge, I almost pictured it like composing a symphony because there's a lot to keep in your old, your head there. Is that, sure. does that get intense? Does that get fun? Does that get? <laughs> totally, totally, totally intense. And uh, because, um, and, and I'll tell you for your, uh, your listeners, mm-hmm. um, there's the core plot of, um, uh, Coulter trying to uh, pr- stop this uh, corporation from doing bad things. And, and bench- if actually what they're doing is to decrease property values. They're throwing Oxycontin and fentanyl into the streets for free. Uh, then uh, users uh, descend on that area. The property values fall. The corporation buys the um, uh, property and ousts the, the people. And so people are getting killed. Coulter's father discovered that. That's one of the reasons he, he may have been killed. And so um, the um, uh, Coulter simply has to uh, stop that. Well, then he's on a reward case, too. This woman, his daughter has gone missing. And um, uh, everything comes together at the end. There's not a single aspect of the plot that isn't woven together so that each at the end uh, facilitates the, the revelation of the twist then the twist beyond that, and then the twist beyond that. Mm-hmm. So I get very tense. I get incredibly tense with this. It's because it's pulling everything together. And it's a, you know, it's it's like watching a, a symphony. It's all the different instruments. They all have to come together at just the right, uh, just the right point. 
there's a lot of gray areas here. Uh, I don't know if hero is the right word for for Coulter Sean per se, and I don't know if villains are the right word for the the handful of characters that that he encounters. Uh, Irene Brax- Braxton comes to mind. You, I talked about crackling. It really crackles on the page when we get to these three particular characters that are with Blackbridge, who <laughs> just seem like fun, scary villains to me. And I wondered <laughs> what it's like for you as the author. You write your protagonist sort of hero. Is it fun to write villains too? <laughs> oh, I love villains. Villains are so much fun. And, you know, the villain has to be um, as uh, intelligent as the hero uh, and certainly has to have more resources than the hero because when the hero prevails, if the hero prevails, uh, we have to feel uh, the uh, hero has met a true challenge. Um and because if you have a cardboard caricature, uh, you know, like my hairstyle, bald with a ponytail and a black jacket, I, and I, you know, twirl my mustache if I could, uh, that's not a that's not a villain. That's not somebody who uh, represents a real threat. But Coulter is up against both political and corporate interests here that will stop at nothing, including torture, because there is so much money uh, involved, and of course the uh, uh, this ultimate character involved with. Uh, uh, the head of Banyan Tree Holdings, um, echoing some uh, corporate and political interests in the real world. Mm-hmm. Uh, what a what a delightful uh, smarmy bad guy he is. So I had great fun uh, creating uh, creating those those bad guys, and including the best villain name I could think of, Ebbet Droon. Oh yes, I meant to bring up <laughs> Droon. What a great name. You have had characters, your characters, adapted for the screen, for film, for TV before. Uh, what might be distinct about the way you might feel when it's Coulter Shaw's turn for TV adaptation? Well, um, I can I can give you the particulars about that. Um, it's been uh, purchased by uh, Disney's 20th uh, television division. That's like the 20th Century Fox TV division, now 20th television. And uh, it uh, will be directed by Ken Olin from... 30 something he'll um and uh this is us and the star of this is us uh justin hartley will be playing coulter shaw now that was put on hold because of covid but now they're getting back into the uh uh, casting and production and so forth and i thought it was a perfect choice but you know i have to say i uh, i'm I'm delighted i know ken uh personally he's done great work uh and i i've met justin he's a great actor a great producer as well and i uh but (sighs) let them do their own thing. I, I'll hand off to them. And then I will get on with uh, what I do, which is writing another book. And the new Lincoln Rhyme will be out in November as I stay. Then I'll be alternating the two of them. And uh, so uh, I, I, to me, uh, I love television. I mean, Breaking Bad was maybe the best thing I've ever seen on TV. Mm-hmm. I love The Queen's Gambit, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, many wonderful shows. But that's their business. I don't really know how to put together a movie. It's that's a project by committee, yeah. and I'm a uh, a guy who doesn't play well with others, and so it's um, it's good to uh, let them go off. Gets my name around. It's kind of advertising that I get paid for, but uh, I, uh, I I I'm so skeptical when I hear an author say, "Oh, they took my book and turned it into this terrible movie. They t- they stole my baby," and then I say, "Oh, you sent the check back in protest, did you?" And they of course say, "No, no, no, they didn't." So. Well, it's a, it's a very rich character to mine, a rich story. It's the energy of detective without being a detective and the family and the, it's a very complex character and a, a very enjoyable to read. 
So folks, wait for that adaptation. It's much later. Just pick up the book. We thank you, Jeffrey Deaver, so much for joining us to talk about the final twist. Well, thank you so much. And uh, maybe we can chat again in November when the new Lincoln comes out. You got it, sir. Okay, take care. And that was our chat with Jeffrey Deaver, creator of the Lincoln Rhyme series. You have probably heard of The Bone Collector. Currently, the series is featuring the protagonist, Coulter Shaw, which we just talked about. And the latest book in that series, The Final Twist, is out now. Deaver is an international number one best-selling author with backgrounds in law, journalism, and music. His novels have appeared on bestseller lists around the world. His books are sold in 150 countries translated into 25 languages here he was on our podcast it was so great to have him so we recommend diving in to the Coulter Shaw series you can work your way up to this third book the final twist or maybe you've been following along already this one really ups the ante full of subterfuge very fun read thanks again to Jeffrey Deaver for joining us this is a little too quiet the Ferndale Library podcast it's brought to you by the friends of the Ferndale Library my name is Jeff Milo, and the music that you hear bringing us in and out of this show each week is by local musician Chad Stocker. If you want to find out more information on how to support this podcast, go to ferndalefriends.org. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it to social media or just tell a friend. If you've been listening to us for a while already, remember to rate, review, subscribe, or leave a comment. It will help us find more listeners. And we thank you for listening to this episode. <laughs>